Welcome to Rome. This is The Bittersweet Life with Katie Sewell and Tiffany Parks. Hello, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. I'm Tiffany Parks. Tiffany in Rome, Katie in Seattle. And today, Tiffany, right now, a listener of ours sent a suggestion that we read an article that is in The Atlantic from June, the June Atlantic of 2023. It's called Night at the Vatican by Colin Murphy. The subheading is After the Tourists Go Home, a Museum's Collection Tells Its Own Story. And it's basically about being in the Vatican overnight, the Vatican Museums overnight. And there is a paragraph in here that I thought might spur some interesting conversation in this article. So I guess maybe I'll read it to you. It's actually, yeah, a paragraph and a half. And then we'll see where the discussion goes from there. This is mid-article too, by the way. So this is, if you want the full (laughs) picture, check out The Atlantic for June. All right. The idea that a museum comes alive at night, that works of art themselves might relax and chat when people are not there, animates movies and novels and children's books. And there is a sort of truth to the idea. After hours, life goes on. As we set out among the galleries, Faint noises from the ceiling call attention to the skylights. Workers above could be heard talking as they washed the exterior, their movements backlit like those of puppets in a shadow play. Elsewhere, cleaners with soft brushes in their hands and vacuum cleaners strapped to their backs gently dusted imperial Roman statues, an animal's claw, an athlete's thighs, an emperor's beard. In a conservation laboratory set among exhibits, technicians in white coats worked late, repairing the frayed edge of a woven artifact from Africa. The museums at night can feel like an elaborate play structure, gilded corridors the length of a football field, rooms teeming with a stone zoo of lions and crocodiles and other marble creatures, darkened galleries and countless places to hide. Every door conceals a surprise. So, mm-hmm. it's very intriguing. It is very intriguing. And it just brought up in me a lot of different feelings, you know, that sort of creepy tingle and delight that can come from being in a place like this at a time when you wouldn't normally be there, you know, mm-hmm. or at a time when it's a place that's usually full of people, but now the people are gone. And how different a place can feel when you're there. And all of that activity is absent. And I feel like in a city like Rome, which is, it's a night city, although it's not a night city in the fact like New York where they stay up all night long. It's a night city to a point and then people go to bed. Mm -hmm. Do you find that living in a place like Rome that has so many opulent sites like the Vatican museums that you do end up being alone in these types of places? Well, I guess if you're a night owl. (laughs) Um, which you're not yeah (laughs) which I'm not but you know I was trying to come up with a memory of a moment like this in my life when you were reading the only thing that came to my mind was actually from the mixed up files of Mrs. Basil E. Frankweiler right fiction book he mentions kids. kids books and that definitely made me think of that but actually now that you say that I once sat in front of the Trevi Fountain at about three or four in the morning. Hmm. And now I have, since we have all experienced COVID and the lockdowns, especially the extremely severe lockdowns that happened in Italy, 
I've gotten to actually be at the Trevi Fountain when it's empty in the middle of the day, which is trippy for its own, you know, in its own way. <laughs> for sure. And the Spanish Steps, same thing. But long, long before that, uh, when Rome was a lot like it is now, which is just like filled to the brim with tourists, and it was summertime, and I was out with some friends, and one of the friends I was out with had a friend in town who was staying at a hotel. And this hotel had bikes that you could just take. The guests could just take them out and, uh, you know, use them as long as they wanted. And somehow, I mean, it, we were, we had already been out very late. And after we'd been out and going here and going there and this cafe and that bar, we ended up back at the hotel and taking out as many bikes as we could get. And we were riding these bikes around the city. It was already at least two. So there was nobody really around. Like you say, Rome is an, it's an evening city. It's a city where restaurants stay open late. Whenever I go to England, I'm like, it's 7.30 and there isn't a restaurant open in the whole town. (laughs) You know, maybe not 7.30, but like by nine, everything is closed. No, Rome isn't like that. You know, you can definitely eat until 10, 11 at some places, you know, but at a certain point, you know, unless you're in Campo di Fiori, or in Trastevere, the city is pretty quiet. And it was kind of around that time, Spanish Steps area, the city was more or less deserted. We got on our bikes, we were riding them around, and we ended up at the Trevi Fountain. I had been there once before, but I don't think it was maybe quite that late. By that point, I think I was just with one or two friends. And we were sitting in the very, very front sort of bench and you wouldn't even know there's a bench there, really, because <laughs> when you know when you go to the Trevi Fountain, everybody's standing clearly because it's standing room only, except for the little strip, the brim of the fountain where people sit to take photos. That's the actual fountain part. But there's a marble bench. There's probably two layers of marble benches that face the fountain, and the lowest one is is quite close. And I just remember sitting there. And there was nobody there. And it was just, you know, and of course, there's the pounding, rushing sound of the water. And even on a busy day, when you're walking around Rome, I always mention, and it's true, you can hear the Trevi Fountain before you can see it, Mm -hmm. because the sound of the water is so overpowering. But at night, when it's so quiet, and the city is empty, it's even louder And I just remember sitting there kind of in awe and maybe sitting there for 20 minutes or more without talking, just sort of soaking up that moment. Did you find that the fountain itself had a different almost meaning with all the people gone, you know, or different I don't know that I went that deep, to Mm -hmm. be perfectly honest. I think I was just absorbing the, just seeing it in a new way, seeing it without all the crowds, seeing it in the middle of the night. I don't think that I felt quite that, but it's definitely an interesting way of looking at it. Mm -hmm. I've talked about it on the show before, that feeling of walking across Rome in the middle of the night. The one time I stayed up to watch the the Seahawks, the Seattle Seahawks football team win the Super Bowl, which happened in Rome in the middle of the night and walking across Rome back to my apartment and not passing a single person the whole way across. And also, what time of day was that? About four a.m. No, it was probably more like two a.m. Honestly, yeah, yeah it wasn't quite quite that late. 
or when I first moved to Rome, all the jet lag we had and how for night after night after night, we would sit in Piazza Navona at like three in the morning because we couldn't sleep. We weren't on normal hours. What a burden that was, but also kind of what a privilege it was. It's always, I think, kind of colored how I feel about Piazza Navona because my first real experiences with it were in the middle of the night. Mm -hmm. Just like colors it differently. The middle of the night where nothing else is there except for you and, and they still have all of the statues and fountains lit up. Kind of a pleasureful moment. I think because I grew up in a church, my father being a, a minister when I was a kid growing up, I have a lot of moments like this because a church is so different when the people aren't there. It's just such a different place because it's such a large building. It's such a big structure. Every church is different, obviously, but it might be full of classrooms, like it might be full of offices. It often has a kitchen. It's just a giant structure and it has like a sanctuary, <laughs> an organ. You know, it has all these sort of grand pieces to it. And when it's full of people, it seems like it all makes sense. When it's no one is there, it, it just takes on a totally different vibe. And for me, I think as a kid, I used to like to pretend that it was like a giant palace that I alone moved within. And, and oftentimes I'd be at the church and my dad would be maybe working in his back office and maybe somebody else would be with him, but I would just be wandering around the floors, sitting in the balcony when no one is there. All these different weird experiences and how your imagination can just overlay so many stories and ideas and, and also that feeling that kind of creepy feeling when you're in a long dark hallway and no one else is in the building no one else is nearby and you hear a noise you know I've had that feeling so many times in my life because of wandering these long halls and I think the church in particular I know we've talked about it before maybe on a bonus episode I don't remember do you remember I remember the conversation but I don't remember where it appears yeah, I mean, the church itself was so odd. It had lots of different passageways. It had closets that you'd go in one side of a closet and you'd end up in a different hallway, like you could pass through the closet. That's like magical kids' book stuff, like 101 right there. Oh, yeah, and there were like a bunch of puppets hanging in that closet, too. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> Just to that... give it like a little morbid feel, <laughs> yeah. a little slightly odd. Yeah, and it was like, I think it was several buildings that had been hooked together like made at different times and so it was like half a story off so there were all these one half stairs to get to the next level so it also had these weird this weird maze-like quality and then it had um indoor basketball hoop but in a room that felt like a dungeon it just felt like <laughs> it was this very bizarre <laughs> building and it also had as you probably remember tiffany it also had an old sanctuary that had been shut down years ago, years before my father arrived. And the doors had been locked, these giant wooden doors, your classic American church wooden doors. Those doors had been locked and they hadn't been able to find the key. Ooh. And <laughs> and for me, I would get to the end of that hallway where the old sanctuary was, and you could peek through the two doors and just catch a glimpse of the amber light from the stained glass windows. I kid you not, white sheeting that was laying over some of the pews. This is getting a little bit too much like the haunting of Hill House. Okay. <laughs> starting to scare me now. 
You know the room at the end of the hall that they can't find the key to and they look through the keyhole? Yeah. I don't remember what happens. Did though. you write The Haunting of Hill House? Um, <laughs> no, that was Shirley Jackson. It, it's like the terror room where the mom, spoiler alert, kills <laughs> that little girl at the end of the story. Oh. And she's trying to poison all the kids. Remember? Right. Right. Yes. Vaguely, vaguely remember. It's scary. <laughs> that's too scary for me. Well, that sounds awfully intriguing, Katie. And I and like I said to you before, and I think this did appear on a bonus episode. Now that I'm thinking about it, uh, it was the bonus episode about sort of things about us that people don't know. Oh yeah. Um, and you talked about your experiences as a pastor's kid. I said then, and I stand by it. I see a children's book in this story. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because it's almost the knowledge of the of the tingle, you know, the knowledge of that tingle of being alone in a big place, in mm -hmm. a big place with the absence of voices. Like, think about how loud the Vatican Museum is during a day with all the voices and the tour guides and just the echo of all the marble. You know, it just is like a big echoey place. And then to have it go silent and what you hear is the light sweeping, the light dusting of people cleaning a lion's mane i mean it's a totally different feeling yeah it you know? to me it, it could be compared to a large theater yeah as well, yeah when it's empty and we've both spent time in empty theaters as well mm -hmm. not necessarily enormous ones but there is a big contrast you know there's the moment when the theater is in use and the audience is full of people and there's the orchestra playing and there's music going on and stomping of feet and clapping and cheering and hopefully um <laughs> and then when it's when it's empty and yeah maybe somebody is sweeping the stage it's a completely different beast it's a completely different character yeah and there's something about being the person that's in the place like mm -hmm. sometimes it can be a little creepy sometimes it feels very peaceful Sometimes it feels very safe. Yeah, you're right. The theater has that same thing. It does. So it like really speaks to me about the transformative power of like people. I don't know. I was thinking, is there any correlation to this to the Roman ruins that you see if you visit Rome? And I was thinking specifically of the ruins of what is it? An opera house, a theater that are sitting by the Jewish ghetto. What is that? that theater of Marcellus. The mm -hmm. Theater of Marcellus. Like, now, there are people who have apartments in there, right? Now? I don't mm -hmm. even know. But it seems like, for the most part, it's like a big, empty structure. Yeah. Imagine I mean, well, if you've somehow gained access to being inside that structure on your own. I don't know what, what's left in there. It does sort of have that same hollow feeling, I guess. Perhaps. Perhaps. I, I don't know how restored, how highly restored that particular place has been since it had to have been foundations had to have been created to hold the houses above in place but i would say on that same vein back in june of 2020 we went to the coliseum mm. it was i really was first time in the coliseum and i mean there must have been 10 people there tops wow amazing i mean and when you think about how many people used to fill the Coliseum, how many screaming, cheering, jeering crowds and the people on the sand and to walk through there by yourself or almost by yourself. I mean, just walking through the Coliseum by yourself, even not considering its ancient past is unbelievable. I was just like pinching myself the entire time. But um, 
in another place is the Circus Maximus, which is which is very often totally empty. It's not a place that attracts a lot of tourists because it's kind of a big grassy field now. Yeah. Um, you know, and people will jog through there. They'll walk around. Um, we were sitting there taping the very last episode of your trip to Rome last spring. That was very fun. You can go back and listen to... Okay, I'm not able to pull out the name of that episode <laughs> off the top of my it's head. It's the very end of our Summer in Rome series, which if you're feeling yeah. like a trip to Rome this summer... I encourage mm -hmm. you to go back and listen if you've never heard it. All episodes yes. hold up. It's a great adventure through Rome. It was. It was a fun time. But, you know, that is a place, even even more than the Colosseum. I mean, the Circus Maximus held about 250,000 people, a quarter of a million people. And in that time, in that time, a quarter of a million people was like 10 million people, you yeah. know, Com when you compare city sizes and stuff. And to think of what was going on there, to think of all the activity from the chariot racers to the guys whose job it was to pour water onto the wheels of the chariot so that they wouldn't burst into flame, to the emperor sitting up in his box and all the people cheering and all the people working there. I mean, it must have been absolutely chaotic. And to go there now, it's just, you know, it's like sitting in a grassy field. Yeah, it's so quiet. So different now. Now it's basically like Romans recreating, you know? Yeah, and not very many of those at that. No, or like the Rolling Stones. Like you need to have a big outdoor concert or you need to yeah. have like Roman days where everyone's dressed as gladiators and pretending to fight. Yes, they do do that. You know, yeah. you, on the on Rome's birthday, you can see that. And then in the summer, they do have the big concerts. They just had um, Bruce Springsteen a couple weeks ago. And sometimes they do opera performances there. But on an average day, and it's such a quiet part of Rome as well. Like everything on the Colosseum side is totally crazy busy. But on the other side, the Aventine Hill side, like where the Rose Garden is, it's so quiet and yeah. so peaceful. Yeah, that's so so different too. And like think of the swing there from it being the spot where 250,000 people gathered to mm -hmm. being a grassy knoll. It's a big it swing. And granted, there were, you know, a lot of years between those two things, but still, I mean, <laughs> still. the earth is always reinventing itself, certainly. Wow. Well, I am going to personally read the rest of this article at some point. It's got some really great kind of spooky night pictures, too. I don't suppose you've ever been in the Vatican at night, the Vatican museums at night. I mean, I've been, I mean, they open the Vatican's in the evening now on Friday and Saturday evenings, but I have never been there after hours I think one time I did a tour in the evening when I was still doing tours there, but it would have been probably like seven, eight o'clock and it wasn't the middle of the night and it was certainly open. So no, I always had the fantasy of going into the Borgia apartment mm -hmm. in the middle of the night because I've been always fascinated by that area. And actually, you know, speaking of places that are locked up and there was, there's no key the Borgia apartment, which just to give you a tiny history refresher, were the rooms of Pope Alexander VI of Borgia infamy. If you haven't seen one or both of the TV shows about the Borgias, run and watch them because they're very good television. Very fun. Mm -hmm. um, not all historically accurate, but definitely fun. Yeah. Uh, and we've talked about the Borgias. Well, I think we did an episode on the Borgias. <laughs> we did. Correct me if I'm wrong. <laughs> we did. So Borgias, Borgias are great fun, but they were, you know, baddies. 
and they did lots of bad things, particularly the Pope. And so the succeeding Pope, Julius II, basically said when he took the throne a couple of years later, I am not living in those rooms that are full of sin and debauchery. And to be honest, he wasn't exaggerating because we know for a fact that at least one orgy took place there. You can just Google the Festival of the Chestnuts if you don't believe me. And um, <laughs> the chestnuts. I won't tell wow. you what I won't tell you what they were doing with the chestnuts. Yeah. Uh, you'll have to look that up for yourself. This is a PG show, um, <laughs> and there was definitely one murder, minimum, minimum of one murder that took place in those rooms, and it was the Pope's daughter's husband who was done away with. So you know there was definitely a lot of crime and a lot of darkness in those rooms. So Julius II had them sealed up. He had them mm. not just closed, locked, sealed. Nobody could go in or out. And he built, um, he, there were rooms on the upper level and he had those frescoed by Raphael. Those are now called the Raphael rooms. And everybody vis visits the Raphael rooms or most people do, but not everybody goes downstairs into the Borgia apartment. And they didn't open them for literally hundreds of years. Wow. And they found all sorts of, you know, interesting works of art that had been lost to history. So it's definitely a, one of those fascinating places. But it's still very dark down there. Like the windows are, they're not stained glass exactly, but they're sort of leaded glass. They're very thick. And so there's just very soft filtered light that comes through and it's always dark down there. And the paintings are very esoteric and they're great. It's great. I love it down there. Yeah, it's also cold, so it kind of feels like you're going into a spot that people haven't gotten to go into. Yeah, it definitely yes. has that spine-tingle feeling to it. Like, I'm somewhere special that not everyone knows or should be allowed to see. <laughs> yeah, and there are some, um, there's some little, I guess you would call them Easter eggs, you know, things you know, you, you only know if you know, like there's a... Um, a marble fireplace that has the name Valentino engraved on it. And Valentino was the the ducal name of the of the Pope's son, Cesare Borgia, who was like the eve the baddie of the baddies. Like he was such a bad dude. And that's his name. And then there are there's a portrait of Lucrezia Borgia, the Pope's daughter, who, you know, the legend says they were all having incestuous relationships. It's probably not true. But you know, she's definitely a colorful figure in history and um there's even some figures hidden in one of the paintings that look like native american figures they have feathered headdresses and these were done very shortly after columbus's voyage to the new world so called um so it could have been inspired by the things that he was the the stories that he was sending back because of course the Borgia Pope was Spanish, so he would have been more involved in that voyage or in that, at least in, you know, he had relationship with the uh, the Spanish king and queen who had sent Columbus. Anyway, I'm going way off script right now, but it's a fascinating <laughs> place. I'm just, you know, I'm just talking shop, basically. No, no, it's fascinating. So interesting. All right. Well, we'll leave it there. If you feel after that spine tingle that I just felt that you want to go to Rome, we might still have a room or two left on our big grand Roman tour this October, uh, October 8th through the 14th of 2023. Send us an email to bittersweetlifepodcast at gmail.com, bittersweetlifepodcast at gmail.com. We'll send you more information. We're going to do a full week long of walking tours where we explore 
some of these lesser known uncovered places. Not the Borgia apartments, but we can help get you in there if that's what you want to do. So yeah, send us an email if that's interesting to you. Check out this article in The Atlantic by Cullen Murphy called Night at the Vatican. And thank you to listener Kay for letting me know about that article. And until next time, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. I'm Tiffany Parks. Join us again. Bye. If you love the show, take a moment to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We love to read why you listen, and your rating might help someone else discover the show. Take just a couple of minutes to let the world know what you think of this show. It means the world to us. Thanks. Thanks.